Hello and welcome to another episode of Second Hand Stories. This is a place where I tell you stories. What kind? Well, histories, mysteries and unbelievistries. Today's story is pretty much an unbelievistry and it was incredibly moving and resonated with me a lot, um, especially considering the stuff we've been through over the last two years. I hope it uh, resonates with you too. And here's how it goes. The story is about Ernest Shackleton. Ernest Shackleton was a polar explorer. He was the last in the heroic age of Antarctic exploration. Ernest Shackleton started off in the Merchant Navy, but his sense of adventure led him to eventually joining polar expeditions. The first expedition he went on was in 1901. That's when he went to the South Pole under the leadership of another legendary explorer called Robert Scott. Then in 1907, he makes another uh, journey to the South Pole and this time uh, he leads it. In both these instances, the aim was to reach the South Pole and in both journeys, they failed. Then in 1912, Ernest Shackleton gets the news that the South Pole has been reached, but it's been reached by a Norwegian explorer called Roald Amundsen. This was disheartening to Shackleton, but he was undeterred. Eventually, he comes across another idea. He decides that he wants to be the first person to go across the continent of Antarctica on foot. It was a crazy idea and it could only have come to a person as crazy as Ernest Shackleton. Let me tell you a little bit about Ernest Shackleton. So Shackleton was uh, a man who was filled with intuition. That was his lone guide. Uh, or as we call it today, a man who went on vibes. Ernest Shackleton was an explorer in the true sense. He was a self-reliant man uh, filled with an eternal optimism and a man for whom you could aptly use the adjective swashbuckling, quite a, a man of daring do. And more than that, he was also charismatic. So he could communicate his wild ideas to people and fill them with the same fire that he had. He was so charismatic that people used to call him the boss which spoke to his absolute authority and also the natural respect that his crew felt for him. And now that he had this idea of making the trans-Antarctic expedition, he moved heaven and earth to make it happen. The first thing he had to do was he had to procure a large sum of money because this was not an easy expedition. It was going to be heavy on resources. He manages to do it and then with that money he buys a ship. A ship he buys from Norway. It was called the Polaris. But he renamed it to a more fitting name. The name he gave it was the Endurance. After that he sets about getting together a crew. Now this he does by putting out an advertisement. The advertisement read like this. It said Men wanted for hazardous journey, low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return not guaranteed, honor and recognition in event of success. This was an ad written 
not to invite people but to deter people he didn't want people who weren't serious and to his surprise because of the reputation he had gained from his two previous polar expeditions this one was met by 5000 people ernest shackleton conducted the interviews himself and the interviews were brief and eccentric ernest shackleton was not a man to ask you stuff like where do you see yourself in 5 years no he just looked for competence and more than that he looked to see if he liked you if he liked you then you were immediately hired and like that he quickly put together 27 men and it was all of these men on board the endurance who set sail on the 1st of august 1914 from the london's east india docks they go south and eventually in november of 1914 they reach argentina at argentina the ship is filled with some new crewmates these are 69 dogs that have come from canada and they're going to be used in the expedition along with the dogs comes one more person he was a stowaway a welsh sailor called purse blackborough purse blackborough snuck on the ship and nobody knew about this and he waited until the ship was too far out for it to return and then he reveals himself the sailors immediately take him to ernest shackleton who is a popoleptic he is so angry with this guy who has stowed on his ship because he's like you have jeopardized my expedition you are jeopardizing my crew if the rations go low he reminds purse blackborough then you will be the first man eaten Purse Blackborough is a cheeky sailor who is like yes i accept these terms with that he becomes the ship's steward the ship then continues its sail downwards and eventually it reaches the last port of call which is a small island called south georgia in south georgia there's a whaling station and the ship docks there and it's at this whaling station that they encounter bad news the whalers have been coming back from the sea and they bring with them stories stories that are disheartening they tell ernest shackleton that you shouldn't take your ship towards antarctica because the sea is filled with ice it's frigid and the pack ice is forming and it could be dangerous for your ship ernest shackleton hasn't become an explorer to hear people tell him that he shouldn't explore <laughs> so he listens to these stories and he decides that he's going to go anyway and so the ship sets sail and in december of 1914 they start approaching antarctica the idea is to go through the weddell sea and eventually reach the coast and where they will then start their journey on foot they can see the coastline of antarctica but the whaler stories are true the water is frigid and filled with ice and they can see pack ice all around them miles and miles up to the horizon and then worryingly they see that on either side of the ship are huge ice floes giant pieces of ice that have started surrounding the ship in front of them is open water which the ship desperately tries to make for and then they realize that even behind them another ice flow has formed this then is succeeded by 6 days of blizzard like conditions winds sweep across and after the 6 days they realize that the ice has formed tightly and the ship is stuck 
Ernest Shackleton immediately orders his men to get out and start trying to use their pickaxes to budge the ship out, to break the ice and make the ship move forward. The men get off and they try to do this, but they try and they try and they can't make the ship move even an inch. The ship is now tightly, tightly packed amongst the ice. And after a while, the men give up. As one man puts it in his diary, he says the ship was like an almond in a bar of chocolate. Ernest Shackleton now realizes that they're stuck and he's bitterly disappointed. He's been through two expeditions that ended in failure. This was his third attempt. It's an enormous undertaking to get the ship even this far. Antarctica is tantalizingly close, but he can't reach it. And at that moment, he decides that the fate of his men is far more important than the fate of this mission. And he gives up on it. Despite his disappointment, Ernest Shackleton does not display even a flicker of it in front of his men. In front of his men, he puts up a brave front and a cheerful face. And he says, men, this is no longer a ship. It's now a winter station. And we will weather the time until the ice breaks. He then uh, starts instructing the crew, giving them instructions, giving them things to do, orders to obey, so that a routine is set. He realizes that in adverse conditions, what is required more than anything else is some resemblance of familiarity, some sense of order. This he provides them with tasks and the men get about doing it as if nothing is wrong. One of the first things they do is they take the dogs off the ship and they build igloos for them, which they call dogloos. And they put the dogs in it and the dogs are now taken off the ship. The next thing they do is they start preparing for the upcoming winter. Now, I say winter because in the southern hemisphere, the seasons are reversed. In the South Pole, the summer is from October to March and then winter are the remainder of the, of the months. Because it was summer, the ice was teeming with life and they decide that they should stock up on meat and blubber while they can. The ice consisted of seals and penguins, emperor penguins. And it was easy for the men to go up and kill them because these animals weren't used to humans. Their only predators came from the sea. So it was fairly easy for these men to gather up all this meat. And by April, they've got about 5,000 pounds. These were days of incredible beauty as well because the summer meant that the sun never set. And as the men looked about them, they saw miles and miles of ice stretching out to the horizon. And on top of it glinted the golden sunshine. It was incredible. And none of them had seen something quite like this. It was also during this time that they renamed their mess. Their mess where they gathered for food. They now called it the Ritz to add some glamour to an otherwise mundane place. Life on the ship was pretty normal and all of the men had hoped that eventually the ice would crack and they would be free from their prison. But October 1915 comes around. One night, as the men are sleeping, suddenly the ship starts shuddering. What they perceive as screams and screeches start rising up from the ship. The men look around desperately and they realize that the pack ice is getting closer together and it's squeezing their little ship. Squeezing it like a tin can. They try their best to kind of keep the ship upright, but the pressure of the ice is too much. And eventually... Ernest Shackleton gestures to his second-in-command, Frank Wilde, who then says, She's going down, boys. It's time to get off. The men scramble off the ship and now they're on the ice. 
and they see that their ship is getting crushed by the slow unending pressure of this pack on the ice now the men are left to the elements the cozy confines of their ship no longer available to them it's now just them and nature and ernest shackleton decides that it might be best if they try to aim for an island that's 364 miles away it was called paulet island and he realizes that they will have to make a long and arduous walk along with three lifeboats which they will eventually have to use to get to that island it's an incredible journey and he realizes that they can only make it if they shed everything that isn't essential to it all weight must be measured to this end he decides to set an example he takes out his own prized gold cigarette case and he places it on the snow then he takes out a bible and places it next to it and then he walks away it's a dramatic gesture but it hammers in the point he's trying to make and the men immediately start taking out their prized belongings and dropping it into the snow in fact the photographer on this journey a man called james hurley he sits down with the captain and it's 1914 so the negatives that he had were giant plates and the captain and the photographer go through each plate and only keep the photographs that truly captured their journey and the rest they toss to the ice then the men start making this long walk and the going is slow and the conditions are bad ernest shackleton immediately realizes that they're not going to make it and so he halts the progress and he tells the men that they're no longer going to aim for this island this is a tough call to take because a lot of the men had now pinned their hopes onto this journey and onto the fact that they would reach this island to probable safety their hopes are dashed and they now pitch camp on a floating piece of ice a large pack ice but it's still just 6 feet of snow on top of water this camp they call the ocean camp and again ernest shackleton starts delegating duties he does this and very successfully he is able to keep the men's mind off of now the impending danger they're in and it works pretty well the human being is capable of incredible adaptability especially when put against the worst conditions if you looked at the diary entries from that time of the men you would notice that not one of them mentioned the terrible conditions they were in most of them just wrote about the duties they were carrying out it was the, during this time that ernest shackleton's leadership really came to the fore he was a man who could read people really well he knew his men and the psychological needs that each man had he knew whom he could command and whom he had to flatter he gave them tasks according to their abilities and made sure that each man was comfortable the trouble makers he used to keep in his own tent secluded from the rest of the men because he knew that worse than the conditions around them would be demoralization he realized that if the team spirit was maintained then they would be able to give that little bit of extra energy that is required that makes the difference between life and death ernest shackleton also ensured that although he was called the boss he wasn't treated any differently than the other men when the cook would give him like a separate meal he would yell at the cook and say that he wanted exactly the same food that everybody else was having but at the same time the responsibility of these men weighed heavily on him 
while the men relaxed and were able to be themselves ernest shackleton always remembered the responsibility he had he had got these men into this treacherous condition and he had to be the one to get them out life on this floe was comfortable relatively and day after day went by anonymously it would bleed into one and you couldn't tell the difference between one day and the next and then one day they heard what was like a screeching sound and ernest shackleton looks through binoculars and sees that their mangled ship has finally started sinking into the water and he tells the men she's sinking boys they all gather and they watch the ship go down it's a heartbreaking moment for all the men because the ship although broken had remained a symbol a symbol that tied them to civilization and now it was going down and as they watched it something incredible happened in the distance they see 10 emperor penguins make their way toward the ship and the emperor penguins looked at the ship and they started making a sound that the sailors had never heard it felt to them as if the penguins were singing a funeral song for their beloved ship and then it went completely under the ice ernest shackleton wrote about it this particular incident in his diary by writing just one sentence the sentence he wrote was i cannot write about this the men were completely demoralized that day and ernest shackleton tried to raise their spirits by giving them a special treat of food he sanctioned fish paste and biscuits they see out uh, a lot of the summer on the pack ice and then they try to make one more expedition towards safety even this expedition fails and they have to now camp on a second piece of ice the second camp they create is called patience camp but this time the resources are running low because they've left a lot of the resources on the ship which went down and then a lot of it in ocean camp so with the resources running low a terrible decision has to be made ernest shackleton orders that they have to kill the dogs the dogs had gone past their utility as sledge animals and they were now also eating into the rations of the men it's a hotly debated decision because a lot of the men do not want to do this they understand the rationale behind it but they've grown attached to the dogs the dogs were not just muscle on the trip they were also companions in fact a lot of the dogs had given pups during this time and the pups were treated like little babies which brought a lot of joy to the men a lot of them were reluctant to go through with it dr alexander macklin a surgeon on this journey he wrote about it he said that he had a little puppy called gruce he was born on the ship and macklin used to take it out in his jacket pocket and gruce his nose would stick out of it and frost would form upon it gruce had grown up to be a very loyal and hard working dog who was learning to pull the sleigh there was also the case of these other two dogs one was uh, a wily old dog called songster and the other was called bossen and the job was given to frank wild and macklin to kill these animals they took them behind a hump of ice which was their meat dump where they would throw the discarded meat pieces and the two dogs followed them happily wagging their tails and songster picked up a penguin head and bossen picked up a bone and then macklin uneasy shaking had to kill these dogs and songster died with the penguin head in his mouth 
and Boston died gripping the bone. It was an incredibly sad day for the entire camp. But they eventually realized that self-preservation trumped any kind of sentimentality. In the April of 1916, suddenly the ice that they're on, where patient's camp is located, the ice starts splitting, starts breaking apart. And the men realize that it's time to leave. So they shove the lifeboats into the water and they clamber on board. And then they, they set their navigator, Frank Worsley, to set direction for a place called Elephant Island. It's a very difficult journey through the water because the oarsmen have lost practice and they're also nervous. Their oar keeps hitting the ice around them. The sky is teeming with birds and in the water are roves of whales that keep popping up too close to the little boats. For five days they row and it's almost a very little sleep because sleep is very difficult to come by. The men sleep shivering in their sleeping bags that are covered in ice. When they wake up, it's the same conditions all over again. Gusts of wind blow through and these boats are shaking violently in the water. A lot of the men are, you know, the, the color has drained from their cheeks. Their eyes are bloodshot and their beard is now filled with snow. It just resembles a hanging clump of white. A lot of the men are frostbitten. The vessels in their fingers and their feet are frozen. And yet, somehow, they make it through. On the fifth day, they spot Elephant Island. And all the men congratulate their navigator, Frank Worsley. Which is frankly remarkable. Because when they started this journey, a lot of men did not have faith in Frank Worsley. They thought of him too immature. But during this crossing, they realized that he was one of the best navigators and certainly one of the best sailors. They make it to the island and they clamber onto the rock. It's the first time in 497 days that these men have stood on solid ground. But this little rock, Elephant Island, is a hateful piece of rock. It's barren and it's windswept and there's very little place for refuge. There are animals on it, which is nice. But apart from that, it's a desolate place. And very soon after they land there, Ernest Shackleton decides that he has to leave for help because he knows that help is not going to pass by. So, he gets his lifeboat ready, a small 22-foot boat, and he selects five men. Some he chooses for their competence, such as Frank Worsley, who's going to be his navigator, and others he chooses so that they don't cause trouble when he's away. This includes the carpenter, Chippy McNeish. And so these six men get onto this boat. And when they leave, Ernest Shackleton has given a piece of paper from his diary to his second-in-command, Frank Wilde. It basically sums up his motivation and his personality. He tells him that as soon as this boat leaves shore, Frank Wilde is to be in command. And he writes the final line in that letter. He says, tell my men I loved them and I tried my best. And with that, they set sail. Now, there were three islands that they could have reached. Two of them were nearby. The third was 800 miles away. The third one was South Georgia, the place that they had docked as their final port before they came to Antarctica. The islands that were close by, they could have reached them, but the ocean currents and the wind 
was against them. Worsley decided that the only way they could make this journey through this particular stretch of sea was if they aimed for the 800 mile away island. And so this 22 feet long open boat with six men decides to make an 800 mile journey across one of the most turbulent seas on the earth. Ernest Shackleton knows what's at stake. 22 men are now stuck on Elephant Island. Nobody knows about this except for the six men in this boat. If he doesn't make it, those men will perish. He has to do this against all odds. And so they go. And it's a bad, bad journey. The sea is rough. There are waves that take them 50 feet in the air. There's a near constant gale-like, storm-like condition that's taking place. Water keeps filling into their boat. And this is not regular water. It's icy water. They constantly keep bailing it, but it's always there, constantly. And it freezes into ice and it makes the boat heavy and it keeps sinking them. And not just that, the feet of these men are constantly submerged. And when they peel off their boots, they're white with just frostbite and being in the water that long. And somehow, they continue making this journey. Frank Worsley, in an incredible feat of navigation, is able to just, through sight, more or less, figure out their coordinates and take them forward and forward. They can't go back because if they do, then they might hit ice and the whole operation will fail. And this goes on for 16 days. Every night, they go to sleep in these slimy sleeping bags, which are covered in reindeer hair, hair that gets everywhere all over the ship into their nose and on their hands it's all over the place in the mornings they would wake up and the ship would be frozen and it would take them an axe to get everything chipped off before they could set sail again and 16 days later they spot south georgia and their luck still doesn't change as they approach south georgia they're hit by a hurricane a hurricane that has already sunk a bigger ship the little boat gets shot further and further away from where they want to land and they end up on the other side of South Georgia. This side is a barren piece of land which has huge glacial walls. They manage to get the boat onto the shore and they stumble their way onto it and they drag the boat back onto the shore and that's when the pin that was holding the rudder falls out. Could not have been any better timing. They're now on this little piece of land that's on the other end of the whaling station and Ernest Shackleton now decides to get to the whaling station on foot. He leaves three people where the boat has landed and he, Frank Worsley and a man called Tom Crane, they decide to now do a bit of mountaineering and a lot of walking to get to the whaling station. It's an incredible thing. What they have with them is rope, a carpenter's axe, and some screws. The screws, they twist into their boots so that the grip is better and then they start scaling this glacial wall. They get on top and then they walk for 36 hours. They reach a slope where there is mist at the bottom and they don't know how deep or what lies at the base of it. And Ernest Shackleton decides that he's going to ski down the slope. And they do it without knowing what's going to happen and miraculously they survive. And that's how at this whaling station, three men walk in, haggard, tired, in tatters, with their stringy hair and clumps of beard sticking to their face, completely frostbitten. 
Ernest Shackleton meets a sailor he had met before they had left for their voyage to Antarctica. And he says, do you remember me? And the old sailor says, I remember your voice. And that's when Shackleton says, my name is Ernest Shackleton. And according to legends, the old sailor turned around and wept. No one had believed that these men were alive. Shackleton immediately orders that they send a boat to retrieve the three men that were on the other side of the island and they're brought back to safety. He then waits three days before he sets off again to save the remainder of his 22 men. But he meets his old enemy, Pack Ice, and he can't get through to them. He has to return. He then tries to make two more voyages and again he's rebuffed. He just can't get through to his men. Finally, he has to beg the Chilean government to give him one more boat to make one more attempt. And he goes again looking for his men. The date is 30th August 1916. It's the fourth attempt he's made and it's four and a half months after the men landed on Elephant Island. And this time, there is no pack ice. The boat starts making its way towards the island and Shackleton is incredibly scared. He doesn't know how many of his men might have survived. And then to his amazement, he sees that on the shore are 22 men waving jubilantly at his boat. This moment was captured by James Hurley, the photographer. Hope and humanity radiates through this picture. It's 22 men with their arms aloft as a rescue boat comes to them from the distance. The picture is called All's Well. The 22 men had waited for Shackleton to save them. And after all this time, the boss was back to take them home. I chose this story very purposely because it resonated with what we've been through for the last two years perfectly. It's It feels like for the last two years, we've been stuck just like Shackleton and his men. Stuck with nothing to do in adverse conditions. Little less cold though. And as the year turns, it feels like we'll be stuck again. And it just feels like, much like Shackleton, survival itself might be victory. And I hope that we're able to keep this up with our spirits high and our will intact and just a little bit of endurance. So that's the story. I hope you enjoyed it. Until next time, Happy New Year and goodbye.